good day and welcome to Holding Fast. How is your anchor holding today? Is it gripped firmly to the solid rock of the Word of God? I trust that uh, you're having a great opportunity to start your day with the Lord and uh, walking with Him. Today is a Hymn History Friday. Uh, I don't know when you're listening to this, but it is released on a Friday at the end of a podcast week in preparation Uh, an opportunity for preparation for the Lord's day and to be able to come into his house and sing with God's people, lift your voices up and give him praise. I don't know if you've ever thought very much about that and hymn singing. We sing traditional hymns at our assembly and we sing them not in a dead way, but in a living way. Now, sometimes it takes a little bit of priming to get people away from You know, it's always a chore when you come to God's house is to be able to kind of pull your mind away from all of the the tedious things of living this life and all of the media and everything that constantly assaults your brain to be able to pull away from that and come into the house of God and to be able to lift your heart in praise and worship and singing uh, and just being in the presence of God. That's always a challenge. And I think it's even more challenging uh, now than it has been in previous decades or even centuries uh, because we are so much inundated in our culture. Uh, but usually I do a Hymn History Friday, just taking a familiar hymn that you may have sung and uh, giving you a little bit of background and history to how that was written. It helps deepen your love for that particular hymn. Uh, but today I'm going to do something a little bit different. In this podcast, we are I want to take an opportunity to highlight an article that was written, I read, well, I read it a long time ago by a man named Joe Carter, in which he was really talking about how important hymnology is, hymnody is to the people of God. It's always been important. Hymns have always been that which have really moved in the hearts of God's people. They've been used at invitations. They've been used in worship. I I think... uh, uh, the 150th anniversary or something like that um, on the death of a woman named Charlotte Elliott who wrote that hymn, Just As I Am, that was used so in so many evangelistic crusades and people coming down. The, I grew up singing it all my life at invitations, Just As I Am Without One Plea, But That Thy Blood Was Shed For Me. In other words, I don't bring anything to God that he... Uh, that uh, that uh, would make God love me. I am coming as I am a broken sinner and let the blood of Christ cleanse me from that sin. So hymns have been used down through uh, the ages. Uh, but there are several things about hymns that you ought to be aware of. I just want to, instead of focusing on one single hymn, let's talk just about hymns today and why we sing them in our church. Uh, and why, and the type of hymns that we sing, and why they are there, and what distinguishes them from what you would listen to, perhaps in the just everyday world, everyday radio type listening. Well, the first thing I want you to understand, Joe Carter writes about this, is that a hymn is a religious song or poem of praise to God that's sung during Christian worship. God's people have always had a distinctiveness about the music that we sing in the house of God. Um, The the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans, he said uh, in chapter 12, 
uh, when he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And he says in verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that calls us not just to think differently than the world around us or think differently than the old unsaved person we used to be, but that in all we do, that we are to be distinctively God. God's people. And so the music that's been sung in churches down through the ages has always been very different than something you might hear at a Boston Bruins game or a Celtics game or on the radio on the pop stations that are there. The music that was sung in God's house was always distinct and it was always called hymnody. And somebody who was a writer of of hymns was a hymnodist. Uh, So a collection of hymns is called a hymnal or a hymnary. Uh, And so hymns are something that was a distinct poem written in praise to God. Secondly, the term hymn comes from a Greek term, hymnios. Uh, It means a festive song or an ode in praise of gods or heroes. And in the Septuagint, the earliest Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, um, the, the Hebrew word meant, a song that is praising God. Third, I would suggest that the music which a hung a hymn may be sung uh, is known as the hymn tune. There are a lot of English hymns that were written, of which, of course, we have a we have a uh, uh, an ancestry of that even in England and in the English language. They would be written to a particular hymn or meter. Uh, the hymn would be sung sometimes to a tune that might be familiar to the congregation. For example, the tune Amazing Grace was written in a common meter. It was a singable tune. This is one of those distinctions about pop music culture versus hymnody. That is that a lot of pop music is written not in a way that a lot of people can sing it. Certainly congregations together ha- are are not capable of singing that type of pop uh, culture music. That's why it's always a little bit creepy and awkward when you go to a, some church somewhere and they have they want to try to incorporate the the pop culture's meter and and the way they sing their melodies. Uh, they want to incorporate that into their church music, and it just feels like you got your shoe on the shoes on the wrong feet. It doesn't fit because most people can't sing that way, uh, like the pop culture pop artists do. And so there's always been a very singable hymnody that the church is able to sing together because no matter what your level of musical ability, you're able to sing these songs uh, because of the way they're written. Fourth, the earliest references to Christian hymnody actually come from the New Testament. Uh, two references are made in the Gospels. The first one is in Matthew twenty six thirty, where the Bible says that uh, when when the disciples had been in the upper room with the Lord, that when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Likely, that refers to the fact that the disciples and our Lord were singing uh, from the Psalms, from the Old Testament Psalms. Those were hymns sung in praise to God, but. Hymnody is also mentioned in the book of Acts and 1 Corinthians and Ephesians. You remember Ephesians passage singing uh, 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 to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's always been a part of worship. So 
uh, early Christian hymnody comes even from the New Testament references. Fifth, I would suggest that until the 18th century, most hymnody in churches consisted of just singing the Psalms. I don't know if you're aware of this, but until the 18th century, most people just sung from what they called the Psalter. And it was the it was the English Psalms from the Old Testament that were set to music. And it wasn't until really the the Protestant Reformation that there were reformers like Martin Luther who began to include hymns. Others like John Calvin held to a principle of exclusive psalmody. In other words, you were a radical uh, individual who really didn't find a place in churches if you sang anything other than the psalms from the Old Testament. But when that famous man named Isaac Watts, um, who has been called the liberator of the English hymn, he came into the church and he began to move exclusively from singing the Psalms uh, to writing English hymns of praise to God. Watts believed that psalmody or spiritual songs, um, that, that that ought to be a natural part of God's people in singing to the Lord. Well, six, I would suggest that the earliest post-New Testament reference to psalmody. Uh, I thought this was interesting. I've always been a history, uh, history nut. And uh, there's a Roman statesman that wrote as far back as A.D. 113. Uh, at that point, Christianity was really blossoming and, and spreading because of the persecution that was going on and the church was growing. And there was a statesman named Pliny the Elder, uh, and there was this problem of this Christian group that is just exploding all over the Roman Empire. And so Pliny sent an, a, a letter to Emperor Trajan uh, and described what he found when he interrogated Christians. Remember, this is A.D. 113. And he wrote this, and I'm quoting from his letter. They asserted, however, that the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God, and to bind themselves by oath not to some crime, but not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery, nor falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. In other words, even as far back, as A.D. 113, uh, the church was known by its hymnody and the way they sang praises to God. There have been several that have been used of the Lord greatly to write hymns for the Christian church in our current day. Um, Charles Wesley, of course, is one that uh, is notable. He was the one of the, the younger brother of the Methodist founder, John Wesley. Charles Wesley wrote 8,989 hymns. That's a staggering amount of work. That means he wrote an average of 10 lines of verse every day for 50 years. He was known for completing a hymn every other day. Now, some of them passed into obscurity, but some of them today are in our hymn book and we're singing them. Uh, during his lifetime, he actually never even heard any of his hymns sung in worship, in a Sunday worship service, because 
At that time, Methodists were still part of the Church of England, the Anglican Church, and they didn't officially approve singing any hymns beside the Psalter until 1820, and that was some 32 years after Wesley's death. Then we think of Fanny Crosby. Uh, She didn't begin writing hymns until she was in her 40s. Uh, She wrote about 9,000 different works herself, Uh, and so she was... She was used greatly of the Lord, and many of her hymns are are found in our hymn book today. Well, we have a great uh, heritage in our hymnody, and we are so grateful that the Lord has given us many spiritual songs, and it's a real challenge for us today to be able to sort through the amount of material that's being put out. And of course, there are worship wars today about churches that have adopted pop culture music and so on. But uh, suffice it to say that there ought to be a distinction in the music that we sing at our church, that it not, ought not to mimic the world, uh, that we ought to have a music that's sung robustly, that's sung with fervency, that's sung with joy, to be able to worship the Lord. And there are so much, even there are hymns being written right now that are worthy of being sung in church. And uh, we thank God for those people's lives that have been touched, that have been gifted to be able to do that. When you come to church this Lord's Day, when you find yourself seated there, don't mumble the songs. Get up there and open your mouth and throw your head back and sing to the Lord and rejoice in His goodness to you. Don't sing absentmindedly. Think of those words. Remember, you're singing to give glory and praise to the Lord. Hymns. They're an essential part of worshiping our God. May the Lord bless you, be in the house of God, and keep your eyes on Christ.